This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by Kopma Cranes, the most competitive knuckle boom crane for the tree care industry. Unleash your full potential with Kopma for tree care. Kopma Cranes are built for heavy duty applications with the best hydraulic technology to maximize your reach and lifting capacity like never before. Kotma's tech team, together with the unique know-how of tree care professionals, has developed the ultimate top-range cranes models for grapple saw applications. Extra functions to the tip with no diverter valves are making it ready for the grapple saw. Kotma represents the edge of mechatronic innovation thanks to superior oil flow with 5 8 inch hoses directly to the grapple. A true 100% stability at 360 degrees angle with the possibility of Kotma Remote Connectivity 4.0, a unique GPRS communication for diagnosis and remote adjustment of parameters in real time. Kotma cranes have been built since the 60s with the highest grades of steel resistance and the most reliable and advanced Italian design and engineering made to outperform an intensive use in the field. Visit cpsgroup.com for more information or contact your local Kotma dealer. So my name is Heather Dirksen and I'm the president of Arbor Masters. Um, Arbor Masters is a family-owned business. We've been in business for over 65 years and we're located out of Shawnee, Kansas, and we have uh, seven offices in five different states, mostly out of the Midwest. Um, we also do some storm debris pickup throughout the United States. So I'm just going to get right into it. So one of the first questions that was actually posed to me by by John Lewis, your, your MEC, um, in between the praise of you and the company was he and I were wondering, um, I guess, just your initial thoughts on uh, what it's like to be in a position of leadership at a company that is considered to be an industry leader, because that's a, a really big deal. Um, so, you know, first off, like congrats to you because you guys have worked hard to get up there, everybody in the company, you and everybody else, but what does it, what does it mean in your opinion to be an industry leader? To be an industry leader in the, in the tree industry, um, I think that I can't take credit for it. First and foremost, um, there's been a lot of people that have worked so hard to get us to where we're, we're at right now. And unfortunately, a lot of those people are retiring in our company. Um, so we definitely have to, um, we're definitely carrying the baton uh, to the next level. Um, we have a really great leadership team. Um, we recently hired a plant health care program manager a little over a year ago. And that has really taken our plant health care, you know, scientific approach to tree care in a really great direction. And it's allowing us to kind of focus on our core business more. And uh, instead of getting sidetracked with all the, the storm work that we do, um, we're obviously going to keep doing that, uh, but more focused on the core business right now. So really enjoying the, the new um, generation of leadership, but also enjoying um, watching the the previous generation starting to retire and kind of move on to what they call their sunset career. No, that's awesome. And one thing I want to bring up for some people who may not know, but you guys also recently just won a Marketing Excellence Awards uh, that was presented to the company and to you. You accepted on behalf of the company at TCI Expo. 
Um, can, can we talk about the, you, you said working on your business and part of that involves things outside of the, the tree work aspect. So what kind of stuff outside of tree care are you doing to make sure you're up to date? Yeah. So we, yes, we did win the, the, I think it was the bud award, um, for marketing excellence from TCIA. That was awesome. Um, we felt very honored for that. We, hired a marketing company a couple of years ago to rebrand. We kind of wanted to just show the world who we are. And so what they did is they, they came into our business, interviewed our clients and interviewed um, the employees and really gave them a sense of who we are. And then they presented us with a couple of different options for our new brand. And our new brand is very family friendly focused on, you know, not only our customers spending time with their families, but also our employees doing that as well. And just taking the, the family approach to tree care and creating, um, you know, our new tagline, which is trees trust us. So taking care of the trees. Um, it's kind of neat. Uh, this coming year, we are starting we actually have a marketing strategy, which we've never really had before, which encompasses a lot of different things. Um, but one of the things that we're doing this spring is kind of rolling out, you know, kind of a healthy approach to trees as everybody is moving into the new year and they're focusing on a more healthy, holistic part of themselves. So we've partnered with a with a new marketing company who's kind of taking our brand into a marketing program and putting it into the work so that we can see what we're going to to get out of it and so far it's been a, such a huge benefit for us it's attracted not only clients but uh, employees as well yeah and that's super cool and it's really cool that you guys are focusing on that aspect as well because it's good once you guys can get your foot in the door but that's a super important way of getting your foot in the door and then this is a more personal question towards you but it seems like you have your hands in a lot of different things um, and you're a prominent part of the leadership at Arbor Masters. So I guess for me is how did you get started in at Arbor Masters and how did you get to be uh, such a prominent leader in the company? Yeah, so I started with Arbor Masters a little over five years ago as a consultant. Um, my husband and I were running a landscape company together and I started as a consultant in the Dallas branch and then eventually worked my way into the, they offered me a position as VP to take the previous president's position once he retired, which he just recently did about a year ago. And so I've been training with him for, you know, three or four years, doing a lot of the storm work um, and then also learning about the branches and now focusing more on the branches as I've developed that second tier of leadership. Um, completely honored to run such a big company and a prominent leader in the industry, um, but taking a very humble approach by learning from the, the, the leadership in the company that's been here for over 30 years. And do you find it, I mean, did you find it difficult when you started to, to take on such a big role? Yes, I definitely found it difficult um, to wrap my brain around, you know, um, I'd gone from running just like, you know, a $1 million company to now a $35 million company. So I think that um, initially it was, it was overwhelming, but I had great training um, with the previous president who really, um, you know, took me under his wing and mentored me and kind of, you know, taught me things step by step, but 
he did take a very numbers approach to the business, which I think is super healthy um, for any company, any business leader out there is to take the numbers approach. And then also not just the numbers approach, but he's, you know, a wonderful man, very empathetic and, and great with people. And um, so he taught me how to be a better leader. You know, um, when I came on, I started with leadership training by just training the branch managers. I started with the Dallas branch. I was very interested in leadership because I, you know, I'm previously in the military. So um, I started doing a podcast once a week with leadership. It's a Craig Rochelle leadership podcast, and it's pretty awesome. It kind of leads you through, you know, different, how to be a great leader. What are the different types of leaders, you know, kind of from the ground up. And while I was teaching that, you know, obviously I was working on myself um, with the, with the previous president as well. And you keep bringing up the word like humble and humility, and it's a great quality to have. How does that build into your leadership style? Because it seems like it's uh, a difficult part to bring to be a humble leader when sometimes I'm, I'm just gonna say it's a very male dominated industry and sometimes being humble as, in, as a woman sometimes would probably get you walked over or talked over how do you bring that kind of leadership style but still maintaining the respect from your employees and the people around you yeah so I um it's it's, it is difficult in a male dominated industry to be a humble leader, but I've, um, I've been that way and I've been in male dominated industries my whole life. Um, so I understand the dynamic of it. Um, you can still be a humble leader and hold people accountable. And so I think that you get more respect than just carrying a big stick and telling people what to do. You actually develop very empowered uh, leaders in the company who have the ability to say yes and make decisions. And I think that's really important. No. And that's, that's a really good approach and very thoughtful. I just, I see on my end sometimes as you, as you look around the industry as a whole, um, it's not easy to step into a leadership position. So sometimes just getting into it can be a really difficult uh, transition and, um, you know, some of the people I talk with here on the staff, but one of the big problems is, is getting respect, but also feeling like you're being heard and finding that balance in between, you know, what comes next after that. So how do you, how do you find that, that balance seeing how you said you've been in, been doing this and you know how to work it? How did you find that kind of balance over the course of your career? I have worked in um, countries where it's not popular to be a woman. <laughs> um, I've, I've worked in Afghanistan and Iraq, and then I taught. I was the first female instructor in Dubai. And so I've learned about um, what it takes to get to where you want to go. And, and, you know, that just keeping that overarching goal in mind for everybody is important. Um, and so I don't feel like, I feel like my approach to leadership and the humility um, that I bring, I save the times that I really need to emphasize something um, in a different manner for the, the appropriate times that it calls for it. And instead of just spending, you know, my whole life yelling at people to, do, to get things done, um, I think they really respect me for taking a humble approach. And then when I do 
raise my voice about something I'm passionate about, uh, they hear me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what advice would you have for um, any woman who's starting off in a leadership position looking for just someplace to to start as a jumping off point? Um, I think that what a lot of times as a woman in a male dominated industry or just a woman, a leader in general, we tend to underestimate ourselves. And so doing some reading and learning about leadership, I think maybe joining some, listening to some women podcasts, women leadership podcasts out there, just surrounding yourself by a group of other leaders. Um, You know, one of the things that I've learned in leadership is surround yourself by three or four people who are five steps ahead of you and make those one or two women in your life. Um, If you're a female leader and you want to learn how to lead better and that will make a big difference. And we, we've talked often on the podcast about uh, mentors and becoming a mentee or becoming a mentor. Um, I'm assuming you must have a mentor or two or three at some point, and you must also be mentoring um, somebody else. So how does that, how does it look on the, I guess this is a two-part question, as somebody who, who's like a mentee, who's looking for a mentor, what kind of things should you be looking for? And then somebody f- who wants to be a mentor, who has experience how do you go about, because not everybody's made to train or to teach. Um, it's why I didn't become a music teacher because I know I can't teach. It's not one of my strong skills, but how do you figure out all those parts? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, as far as being a mentee, what I've learned is that you want to, you know, look for somebody that's five steps ahead of you and who's, you know, either in your industry or not, but at least get, you know, one or two people in your industry And we have an advisory board. So I have two mentors on my advisory board um, who one is, you know, our insurance agent and another one runs a bottling company, you know, a $500 million bottling company who has grown his business um, over the last 25 years. And so figure out what you want out of that mentee or that mentor, Um, you know, so one guy on our advisory board is more aligned with safety and family and culture. And another guy is more um, focused on growth. And then I have another mentor, you know, who's in the industry and another one who um, is more along the lines of a coach. So I think whatever you want to be well-rounded in, um, identify what their strengths and where, where they focus on, and then, and then meet with them and be prepared to meet with them, make them feel like their time is important and then follow up with them and tell them, you know, what are your wins? Um, What did they tell you that made you successful this week and um, be consistent in meeting with them. And I think you'll go a long ways. That's I like that. All that advice is super good. Yeah. Thanks. And then as far as mentoring people, I just naturally love to lead people and mentor them. I do that with our branch managers. Um, I've done that with other business owners. You know, whenever I'm in visiting a town, I try to seek out a tree care industry association company or somebody who's not TCI accredited to get to know them. And then sometimes I end up, you know, being their mentor and kind of talking them through, well, have you ever thought about growing your PHC, you know, division? And, you know, this is how we did it. And it's not like you need to know it all. It's just, you're just having a discussion about what, what, what has worked for you. And you're, you're almost creating your own, you know, network of uh, a peer group that way. And it's, it sounds like from, from what you're saying, a lot of what you do is, is networking based. Um, 
So part of that means putting yourself out there, which I know um, we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast, but it can be a scary thing to put yourself out there uh, for a multitude of reasons. Take your pick. So um, I, I guess just trying to figure out, are you like more of an extroverted person, introverted person? Do you find networking easier or is it something you had to work on as you started to go through all your different career paths? Yeah, so I'm naturally an introverted person. I get my um, I I get my energy out of a walk by myself, and not networking with people. But I also love um, business, so I love networking with people because of that. Um, I will go outside of my comfort zone to get us to where we need to be. And I I took a personality test recently. It was kind of funny. So I I'm a red and a blue, and which is red is you know, we are, we're get it done. And then blue is do it right. And so I will go outside of my comfort zone to get it done and do it right. And I will collaborate with our team in order to, you know, do it really well. And I'm always consistently going outside of my comfort zone because I know I'm an introvert. And so I asked my, you know, my coach about that. And he said, you know, it, it, it depends on who you are. Some people get, you know, satisfaction out of that. And some people don't, I mean, it depends on the end of the day. Do you feel wore out? And I said, no, I feel energized. And he said, well, it's, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing then. That's good to hear that. At least you found what works for you and how it works just because networking itself can be, I don't want to say hard because I'm just thinking from experience at the TCIA events that I've gone to, everybody there is incredibly nice and incredibly open it's just a little bit overwhelming sometimes because something like Expo, for example, there's so much equipment, there's so many vendors, there's so much to see, there's so much to do, you have to attend classes. Um, and I think sometimes too, people get the wrong idea about networking where you have to have a list of questions built out or like a, an actual idea of what you want to ask. But I think it's very um, free flowing. And I don't know if you want to agree or disagree with me on that when you go into these kind of situations. Yeah, so I always, I'm a big fan of being prepared for any meeting, um, and that includes the TCI Expos. So when I found out that I was, we were getting the marketing award, you know, I asked who would be on the panel, and um, I also did my research on who was attending the conference so that I could plan ahead of time, learn about the the company, learn about who I was meeting with. For instance, um, I reached out to someone who is I think they're in the TCI magazine. They wrote an article. It's a company up in Michigan and they do line clearing work. We don't do line clearing work, but we sub some of that work out. And so I wanted to um, reach out to their safety director to get them in touch with our safety director who joined me for uh, the, the expo. And so I connected them and um, it was just a free conversation because I had reached out ahead of time and let that person know that we would be there and that I wanted to introduce our safety directors to them. So doing your homework is, is super valuable and it just maximizes your time, your short period of time that you're at Expo because it goes by so quick. No, that that does make sense. I personally, I'm on the other side of things where I like to do it live. And for some reason, having like a note card or stuff pre-planned out beforehand. Now I'll do my research that way, but I don't like having anything written because as soon as I look down, I forget and I only focus on those bullet points that are on the card. So very much the other side of the approach where I'd rather just go in with no expectations and get them blown out of the water by the end of it. <laughs> I love that. Um, so for an event, cause that was expo for an event like WMC where a lot of it is, um, and I'm going to plug WMC because it's, I guess when this podcast airs will be in either a week or we'll be in the middle of it, depending on, um, what 
but at WMC is a very different event. It's kind of a whole event based around networking with your peers and learning growth opportunities. And for, for somebody who's watching on the outside in for what you guys are doing as a support system for you, it's all very high level stuff. So how is networking at an event like WMC different than networking at something like a TCI Expo or EAW or even um, like a local ISA workshop or conference or something like that? Yeah. So what I love about WMC is um, it's just, it's a group of professionals who want to lead great tree companies um, and they're small businesses to, to bigger businesses. And the first time I went, it was, I mean, just an eye-opening experience for me. But what I did notice right away is that everybody is so welcoming and um, they want to learn about you and introduce you to people with similar tree you know, types of the industry, and then also the same types of size of businesses, you know, in different areas. Um, I can't say enough how thankful I am for not only TCIA, but the people that um, attended WMC just to get me connected with people like um, Cyrus with A plus tree service, you know, out there, um, he runs a similar size of company and in different locations. And so during the, the pandemic, him and I were calling each other, he was about you know, a week or two ahead of everything that I was. And so I was able to lean on him for the ways that we were approaching it. And he was able to lean on me, you know, for, for certain things that we were doing as well. So it's great to just have a network of professionals that you're able to call on in times like that. So going back to you and one of the, the bullet points you sent to me that I want to talk with you about is talking about uh, letting go so you can grow and then implementing empowering leadership style to develop a second tier of leaders. Um, so I don't know what that means. So, but I'd love to learn more about kind of what you mean by all that. Yeah. I would say that I'm not a naturally empowering leader because I like to do it well. And I, you know, for a long time, I felt like to do it well meant that I needed to do it or be directly connected with getting it done. And that really, you know, just capped my capacity to lead such a big company over several states. And so um, what I've learned through, you know, leadership training and learning how to be an empowering leader is building that second tier of leadership and that has increased our capacity in such a big way. It's, it allows people to you know, bring their ideas to the table. It allows you know, the, for them to have a voice and for, and for them to just feel so connected and tied into the overarching goal of the business. And I can't say how thankful I am for the leaders, uh, our fellow leaders and Arbor Masters and just how much they have stepped up in just the last year um, since I've really taken the reins of our masters and helped us get through so much transition that we've had, you know, in the past year. Yeah. And have you found it difficult to, to let go? Because I feel like I'm very much the same style of person as you are. I just want to do it myself and get it done. And, you know, I'm like, well, if I do it, I know exactly how I'll do it. How do you, uh, how has that transition been? Because to me, it sounds incredibly difficult. It is incredibly difficult right at first, but it's also very um, just empowering to see other people step up and lead really well and do it better uh, than you did it. And then sometimes, you know, they are going to fail, 
and that's okay. But you just have to be there soon enough to see that they're failing and to correct it quickly. Um, you have to have systems in place and metrics in place in order to figure that out. So if you don't have your systems in order, I don't recommend letting go uh, unless you're able to monitor their performance and, and meet with them on a consistent basis until you feel like they really have it. And then even then, you still need to make sure you know, that they're doing well. For instance, today, I just followed up with one of our biggest clients in our storm division, and we have a, a storm division manager, and she's doing an excellent job. And all I got were great accolades. So follow up with your big customers, you know, if someone else is in charge of them, um, watch the metrics, you know, as they lead in your company. Yeah. And then I want to talk about the difference um, between, you know, I'm going to use just the term manager just because it makes a lot more sense um, managing people versus managing projects and how now if you're running everything, you have to do both, but there is a pretty fine line between people who are meant for managing projects and people who are meant for managing people. How do you, first off, do you agree with that kind of statement that there, that there are two different kinds of managing roles? Yeah, absolutely. Managing, you know, our branch managers are so much different than any project manager because you manage a project and you're done. I mean, the branch managers, they're managing people, and um, when it comes down to it, we're just running a business um, with a bunch of people to take care of trees. And so people are very dynamic and um, it takes a, someone who's very consistent in order to, to run a branch with somebody who's just managing project. You can be consistent you know, for a couple of weeks and then you kind of fall off and that's human nature. And so it takes such a patient person and a very consistent person uh, to lead a branch and somebody who's willing to develop themselves as a leader. And then for you, because now you are running everything, now you have to manage both projects to get all this new stuff set up, your new procedures, your new way of running things, but you also have to manage the people as you're beginning to train them. How have you, how have you managed or, um, not manage to combine the two together because like you said, they both involve being consistent, but now you are managing both halves. Yeah, I would say it's not easy to do both right now, especially because we're just changing so much. We're re-implementing with single ops because we're redefining ourselves in plant healthcare. So it's it's changed a lot for us and we're just getting ready to go live with a new system. It's taken a lot of training. Um, we brought everybody to Kansas City and trained them, but putting people in charge, you know, people responsible for different aspects of the project. And then consistently following up on a timeline. That's kind of what I do with the branch managers is we have a rhythm, you know, we meet once a month to go over their scorecard, their financials, you know, certain things in the business that are important. One of them being, especially right now, hiring. How are we doing on our capacity? Um, what's your, you know, how are you retaining your people? What does it look like right now? Are you able to rate, you know, make your revenue per man hour and your financial goals? Um so just creating the consistency that everybody needs to be accountable to get what we need to get done. It's important. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because I was thinking to an article Dave wrote, must've been for the reporter for January, but it mentions the fact of the right people, the right seat, you know, and then how 
when choosing somebody to be a leader or trying to find the leaders in your company, there are other people who want to lead, but don't have the soft skills or whatever it may be. But, and then there are people who just don't want to lead and do all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking towards that and towards your situation. Um, Cause you've been with the company for five years. We talk a lot about right people, right seats and not, not just promoting somebody because they have, 10 years versus somebody who may have three years. Um, I'm assuming coming into an already established company, you must've had to shake some things up as you, as you came in. Yes, I definitely did shake things up. Um, It's only natural. I mean, eventually the company just becomes the leader and uh, a reflection of that person in some type of way. I develop very empowering leaders because I'm not as a direct, you know, leader like some other people are. Um, I guess they call them like authoritative leaders or something. But since I'm not like that, I tend to attract and develop people that kind of fit, that work with me well. And yes, there's times we've all done it. We've we've hired people or promoted within just because they've been here for a while in a position that is not the right seat for them. And I have such a great mentor, um, you know, our vice president, he should really be the president because he's been here longer than I have, but he's retiring this year. So it made sense uh, for me to take the reins, but I value his opinion so much. And um, he often has identified that someone is in the wrong seat before I have, um, especially if they're in the Kansas city area because he works with them on a daily basis. And so I just, I take everybody's opinion into account and then make my best decision and, um, and go from there. It's a very, you know, difficult situation and a emotional situation um, to move people around to find the right seats. How do you, and this isn't, how do you deal with it? Cause everybody will find their own way of dealing with it on a corporate level. But how do you, how do you separate yourself from all of this, this work stuff and the work emotions and feelings and everything else that you have to do and, and start to com- compartmentalize because that's also a really good quality of a leader is to be able to handle all these things that keep coming at them. And for you, you have so much on your plate. How do you keep them all? within their boxes, neat and organized? Yeah, so that's, I'm a natural compartmentalizer. That's one thing that I was born to do. Um, You know, I did air traffic for a long time and I feel like some of those qualities kind of carry over where I'm able to do a lot of things at different times, but also, you know, I'm a very matter of a fact person, but I also, I'm a human being when it comes down to it and I have emotions and it is difficult, you know, to tell someone that they're failing, but what we've done in our company so well, and has been to just move people around, find a spot for them because our culture matters so much. And the way that you treat your people, everybody's watching. And so if we do something that's not consistent with our core values, it comes out and sure we've had to let people go before, um, it happens at every company, but the way you do it is just, it's truly important and impactful in your, in your company. Yeah, we do similar-ish here at TCA. We have the quarterly check-in, um, the yearly big check-in, the six-month one, um, where we go over a lot of that stuff about what we're doing in our role. And I mean, sometimes those conversations aren't easy to, I mean, sitting on the other side of things from somebody whose managers have to have the conversation with them. Sometimes they're not always things you want to hear. 
So, I mean, you, but you have to hear them. So it's nice to know that you guys are doing the same thing to just check in to make sure everybody's staying and doing really what's, what's best for them at the end of the day. Yeah. This, you know, this consistent feedback is so important and the, you know, the age of just doing an annual review is come and gone. And so if you don't, if you're not giving people consistent feedback, then you're really, you're not going to be running at full capacity that you could, and they're eventually going to get disinterested and feel devalued. Because you're, you're a big proponent for culture and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's helped you as you're hiring new talent throughout the entire company? Yes, most definitely. There came a time where we'd say yes to anybody. And now we actually filter them through our core values. We have a full-time recruiter. She's awesome. And I actually connected with uh, her with somebody through the TCI Expo. Um, I think she's the HR director for Bartlett. So that was pretty neat. Um, But she screens all of um, our candidates and gets them connected. And if they don't fit our core values, then, you know, they don't make it through through their second interview. Yeah. I mean, we are hiring people now for TCA and I know Dave's doing the same thing and, you know, Dave will sit in sometimes with some of our candidates and talk with them and see if they fit the, the core value thing. And I think it's led to, it's probably led, I don't know, cause I've only been here a couple of years since, since Dave's been here, but it's probably led to hiring different kinds of people than what we once would have. And especially now too, where, I mean, you know, people my age in their twenties for them pay isn't everything anymore. You need to have a culture to keep them around. So it's, it must be neat to see the impact that you've had from starting off, you know, just as a consulting to now running all of this, to see the impact that you and your um, desire to bring culture to it has impacted the hiring process. Yeah, absolutely. And once you create that, as you probably know, once you create that culture, everybody knows um, what your expectations are for who you bring on board. And if they don't quite fit the mold, um, it usually works itself out pretty quickly. Yeah. And I mean, even culture is just little things sometimes. I mean, I guess for us at TCA is getting the, the new office, the, the big open floor plan office was a, was a big change that we got with Dave and all these other people um, as they came in. And it's just uh, being able to see sunlight, honestly, has been a pretty big, pretty big deal from my closet office that I had that was, uh, didn't know what time it was. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, uh, tree care industry, looking out your window and seeing a couple of trees out there. Well, having a window is nice. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm very bare minimum at this point. Um, so as we as we talk culture, who came up with the vision? Was it you when you started to move up? Was it already predetermined? Because we kind of have, I don't know if you guys are using the same program or not. Like we use EOS and all that. Are you guys using the same thing? We're not using EOS, but okay. I've heard about it and I've read about it a little bit. Um, yeah, probably from Dave. Dave Dave loves EOS, but it's we have like the the goals, the ten year goal, the five year goal, the three year goal, uh, the core values. Like it's all listed out for everybody to see. And Dave and the leadership team were big on creating that. Were were those already in place when you came in, or did you have to again sit down with your team and? create everything kind of from scratch? Yeah. So I sat down with the team. Um, I worked with the past president to get everybody together and, and sit down and do that um, strategic planning. 
Uh, so we hired a strategic planner who came in and helped us, you know, come up with our big audacious goal and our vision and our mission statement and our core values. And so we created that together. I say we didn't do too much with it right at first. Um, it was it, it just wasn't supported by the, the previous leadership team and it, the company was kind of divided at the time. And so when I took the reins, I really, I went to the advisory board and kind of talked to them and just said, Hey, you know, it's like now that I'm moving into this position, you know, for real um, and on my own, where do I start? Like, where do you recommend that I start? And I was expecting something to be more financially driven. And one, one of the guys who runs the bottling company, he just said, look, you got to start with your core values, you know, and you got to start where you guys started two years ago and, and carry that forward. And so we all created the message together. Um, we didn't really do too much with it. And then, so I got our team back together and just said, look, we came up with this together guys and we got to carry it forward. And so that's where we started. And uh, so our core values are plastered everywhere. Um, we have them on keychains. We have them, you know, in every in every office, we have core value cards that everybody gets when they join our team. And then we have a blue Arbor Masters wall. They get their picture taken, you know, with the branch manager. And then we send that out company-wide. So we're doing a lot of things to really emphasize. And also all of our meetings, we start with our core values. And we talk about a story, you know, that's, you know, someone in the field, you know, emphasized one of our uh, core values today, and this is what happened. And so that's, it's great to start with that because just, it's just so, it sets the tone for the meeting. Did you find that there was any difficulty to get people to hop on board with the, with the core value thing as you, as you brought it in? I would say right at first, it was like kind of corny, you know? Um, But then what we did is we took it a step further and we defined what they were, what they meant to us. And so that was a great exercise because once, once people, you know, started to define what they meant to them, people in the group, they're like, wait, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that to me, you know, this is what it means. And so we eventually, I mean, it took a couple of hours for us and then we regrouped and came back to it and, you know, made the final product, but we did it together. And so, and all those people are still on our leadership team and they're 100% committed to those. And we we talk about them all the time, which is really neat. That's good. I'm glad that you guys were able to adapt to it quickly because I just, and this isn't any tree care example. I have friends who work in a bunch of different industries and one of them was the tech industry. So very different than ours, but they implemented something similar and it just kind of got laughed out of the room. So they have their core values, but they're not really respected or honored or even really mentioned. I think it's just kind of um, a selling point, I guess, to say that they have them. So they have them. So it's nice to hear that, that your team was really able to get on board and, and be able to have those honest discussions about, well, this is what it means to me rather than letting it go. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that everybody takes it seriously and they get corrected if they don't, because if you just let it go, you know, those are your, those are your guardrails. You know, you got to make sure that you stick to those and you take them seriously. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because we're getting closer on time. Um, so I guess my first thing I want to say is, is there anything about your leadership style or um, Arbor Masters or anything that you want to bring up that we haven't mentioned that you think is important to the conversation of being a, a strong leader and an empowering leader? Um, I can't really think of anything offhand that we haven't really covered. 
I mean, we've covered quite a bit, you know, the, the mentoring thing. I'm just so passionate about, you know, getting people in your company linked up with somebody that is a step or two ahead of them as well as important. Just like I, I have with our, um, with our safety director and our recruiter, people are, who are in those key positions should always be, you know, looking that you should connect them with somebody that's in the industry. It's in the similar type of tree care industry. Um, and I say that because there's tree companies out there all the time, but they might not do plant health care, but your company does. Or like the example I gave with a line clearing, it's just important to connect them with, them with somebody who's, you know, two, three, five steps ahead of them. Yeah. And I guess like this kind of triggers a question for me and feel free to answer it or not answer it. But um, one of the problems that happens is sometimes employers feel like they train their employees only to have them leave or go somewhere else for a multitude of reasons. Um, and part of being a leader is accepting that that may happen, but you still need to train your employees. Um, how do you, how, how, how do you get past it really knowing that the person that you work so hard to train could be gone, especially, especially now where it, the job market's really hot. Yeah. I would say that hurts sometimes, you know, that's a reality, but you can't run your business in fear. And so you have to create an environment where people want to stay. People work with people. And if they don't like where they're at, they might not tell you and they'll leave. But a lot of times they'll give you hints. And so, you know, looking for those hints and asking, staying connected with them, asking them how things are going, you can tend, you'll tend to figure out the problems early on. You know, that there's a problem, you know, a lot of people have that intuition where they can tell that something's wrong and identifying that early and, um, you know, making a change is important. Yeah, no, thank you. That's probably better than, you know, not training your people and hoping that the, they're stuck. Um, yeah. But it, it all comes down to culture, it kind of what you worked really hard on. So, um, and then the last question I have is really just, is there anything else that you want to say or bring up or talk about or promote that we haven't gotten a chance to, to get to? Um. No, I can't really think of anything offhand. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been great. Um, I I feel so um, honored to be able to do this. I, I think five years ago, um, I would have thought this. There's no way that you know I'd be doing a podcast with TCIA. <laughs> so it's it shows that the the industry has shown me a lot of support um, to be able to to be here, and I'm certainly honored by it. This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by the brand new TCI Magazine website, the digital supplement to the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. No matter where you are in the world, you can have top-notch content, timely industry updates, and cutting-edge advertisers you have come to expect from TCI Magazine for the past 30 years, all in the palm of your hand. The fully responsive TCI Magazine website breaks down years of content into neatly organized categories specific to certain aspects of tree care businesses, making it easier than ever to navigate and find articles on exactly what you're looking for. You can discuss articles in real time through the new commenting feature, as well as share articles with friends, family, and colleagues through the vastly improved social sharing. 
We've also been listening to you, our readers, over the years. And to make this content more accessible than ever, we've included article translations for nine different languages. So if English isn't your primary language, you can still enjoy the experience of reading TCI Magazine. So head over to tcimag.tcia.org to check out the brand new TCI Magazine website, the official website of the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. That's tcimag.tcia.org. Dot .org